When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right then, come on, sound check. Champion de Roland Garros en 2005. <laughs> 2006. 2007. 2008. 2010. 2011. 2012. 2013. 2014. 2017. 2018. 2019. 2020. Et 2022. L'Espagnol Rafael Nadal. Let's pod. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, this is Peter Burgess from St. Louis, Missouri, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. That's the 2022 French Open done and dusted. And Rafael Nadal leaves Paris a 14-time Roland Garros champion, a 22-time Grand Slam champion to boot. But I'm just going to say that one more time. A 14-time Roland Garros champion. And this time, he's done it with a zombie foot. (laughs) And trust me, folks, there is more on the zombie foot to come. Quickly, I should say a very big hello and thank you to Peter Burgess that we heard in our opener there from St. Louis, Missouri. Peter, with the lovely, lovely voice, thank you for that intro. If you would like an intro, then you can become a friend of the pod at intro level. The link is in our show notes. David Law, Matt Roberts, thank goodness you're here to help me with finding new words for the sheer excellence of Rafael Nadal. I think you got the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was thinking about that. I think this is my third Nadal winning Roland Garros pod. I think for you two, it might be your eighth, something like that. So really, I I should probably have more words, but I fear that even, you know, having seen it so many times, I'm just... Out of words. It's it's incredible. Should we just get straight onto the zombie foot material <laughs> then? If no one's got words for the tennis or the match or the man. Well, the, I can talk about the match, if you like, um, which was was pretty vintage Rafael Nadal for most of it, except when he did a couple of double faults in the game and lost his serve in the first set. And then when he went 3-1 down in the second set. But really... It wasn't much of a contest, and uh, Nadal came out and did what Nadal does. He's the best clay court 
player we've ever seen in men's tennis. And he just showed that again this fortnight. What What's startling and which we will be able to get onto because of the press comments that he gave is is that he did it in the physical state that he's in. Um, that's the the element that is just so intriguing about all this because otherwise this final was a throwback to Rafael Nadal fatigue, which we've talked about when the crowd weren't that into him because he always wins. Well, they were into him today. I mean, they, mm. they understand what they've got now. They understand what what they're about to lose when he eventually retires um, and they're making the most of him. It was it was great to see him play the way he did and I, and I felt for Kasparud. 6-3, six, 6-3, three, six, three, six, love over the eighth seed Kasparud today in what in what lots of Norwegians have been telling us is the the biggest tennis match in, in Norwegian history and I'm sure it's, you know, obviously gutting for Kasparud. We'll come on to, to talk about that. But, you know, a, a tough one for Norwegian tennis fans to watch as well. But Matt, you were speculating... Uh, early in the first set, when Nadal raced out to to an early break in the opening set, and the crowd was so with him, weren't they? Chance of, chance of Rafa, Spanish flags everywhere. There wasn't a neutral in the house, was there? There were Norwegians, and there were people supporting Rafael Nadal. And you said, I wonder if this gets awkward, if this gets so one-sided, it's uncomfortable. Will anyone switch their allegiance just to try and generate some kind of contact? contest or will it be to that like 2009 when as you absolutely rightly remembered they didn't want Federer to lose any points it was just let's carry Federer across the line a contest is is irrelevant here and and so it turned out I think that's pretty much what we got for Rafael Nadal today as, as you said David they just they know what they've got now and they want to enjoy it and appreciate it and celebrate it. Yes, I think uh, some of the fans quite enjoyed their rude chanting when they mm. uh, suddenly had a chance to do that in no, the second set. Nobody did who wasn't doing it. <laughs> I didn't enjoy Is it. Is this a brief opportunity to just get grumpy about the rude chant? Sure, if you want. Yeah. I mean, it's just really unfortunate for Casper Rude that the... The chant now associated with him also sounds like booing. Yeah, it's dreadful. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind it as a as a Bruce fan. You know, I'm very used to it. Bruce. Yeah, I think it's fine, but I do see why it is a bit unfortunate because it does sound like the exact opposite I, I, I of what you're trying to convey. The thing is that at a Springsteen concert, everyone there has purchased tickets to see <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Nobody there is going to be booing Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, that's a good distinction. Mm. It's, it's mm. like round-robin tennis when you have to do sums in your head. You don't want to have to be trying to work out <laughs> what something means during no, a tennis that's match. That's true. Mm. And, and, and look, I mean, they, they absolutely did stay with Nadal all the way. Is it a controversial take to say, I don't think Nadal played that well today? Like it was, it was six three six three six love, as you said. He won the last uh, eleven games of the match, and I think in that second half of the match, I think maybe he did play very well. But to begin with, I didn't think he was playing all that well. I just thought it was a perfect matchup. I mean, obviously we hadn't seen Rude Nadal before; they'd never they'd never played before. Um, but you kind of imagine what the matchup is going to look like, and I think everyone thought that. Nadal would be able to exploit the rude backhand and and that was absolutely the case it's not just that it's a bit of a subpar backhand it's it's the the way he produces it he steps back 
he was never threatening Nadal with that shot. It was like a safe zone for Nadal just to hit it there and he would then be, you know, neutral in a rally. And he goes back rude, he hits it with spin, he doesn't climb on top of the ball and Nadal was just going into that all the time. There was a moment in the first set where Rude got to 15.30 on the Nadal serve when he was serving for the set. Nadal swung three serves into the backhand and got three errors and he'd won the first set. It was it was such a comfy matchup for Nadal that I didn't think he he had to play all that well and yet, you know, he kind of improved as as the match went on. I think he played tactically very well. He mm. did that analysis for us, didn't he, in, in the press conference afterwards. He said he thought his cross-court backhand was mm. was key today to to kind of take the rude forehand out of the equation as much, much as possible. And, you know, how often is that the case these days that Nadal wins matches with his brain rather than with yeah. his brawn? And I think... So I think, depending on which way you look at it, it wasn't a brilliant match from from Rafael Nadal. There weren't those, there weren't that many of those trademark explosive or inducing forehand winners, you no, know. But no. there was there was sort of latter day trademark mm. Nadal stuff, and, and there weren't many roaring fist pumps where he's skipping side to side around the court because it wasn't necessary. He, he just didn't need to get the adrenaline flowing to that degree. And, uh, yeah, I mean, think of the players that have caused Nadal problems in recent years. They've all had world-class backhands, two-handed backhands, usually. And they and it's Djokovic, it's Verev, Andy Murray used to be able to launch that backhand cross-court. And there's no point in picking on his backhand because it's rock-solid and it's, it's produced in a way that... It isn't hit and miss. That's the problem with Casper Ruud's backhand and Matteo Berrettini's backhand and Joe Wilfred Songer's backhand mm-hmm. and players like this. You don't know what's coming out of it from one shot to the next. And um, you just can't get away with that at this level. I'm going to express another potentially controversial opinion here. And that is that until the press conference, which was pretty extraordinary and, and, and jaw-dropping in lots of ways... And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it was a little bit anticlimactic. I'm going to explain myself, don't worry, because how can winning 14 French Open titles possibly be anticlimactic? And I think, of course, the answer is that the fact of it isn't at all. It's so completely climactic and overwhelming that it's almost impossible to process. But in the moment and on the day... It was a touch underwhelming because I think we had all started to process Nadal winning 14 when he beat Djokovic in the quarterfinals and even more so when he when he moved past Verev and those unfortunate circumstances in the semis and yet more again when it turned out to be Kasparud that he would face in the final. So big picture, it's, it's the most absurd, unexpected, superhuman feat imaginable in the sport really but smaller picture it felt routine and normal you had that contrast I 100% agree with that controversial take if we're calling it that I think it was a match which didn't really fit the occasion Mm. also we we have a direct contrast of the Australian Open final which fitted the occasion perfectly you know it was it couldn't have been more epic that Australian Open. It was, 
it was a match which fitted the achievement. You know, it was a comeback. You know, Nadal's comeback, and there was a comeback in the match. Um, it was just all so improbable and epic and monumental. And this, as you said, 14 Roland Garros titles is a magnificent thing. That feat in itself is huge. But the actual match, the actual moment wasn't huge. Um, I also think that we maybe didn't really know what the occasion was. You know, we were all celebrating 14. We were all celebrating 2022. These were massive deals. But there was this question mark over, is this going to be Nadal's last match or not? What's he going to say in his encore interview? It kind of felt like everyone was waiting for that moment. And maybe we just talked it up too much. Maybe we read too much into what Nadal was saying. But I definitely think that was hanging in the air today. And it just made the match, as soon as it was obvious Nadal was going to win... It made the match not kind of not the main event. It was all about what's Nadal going to say afterwards. Where we where's Nadal going to be in the future? And I think we were all thinking that in our heads and as well. That was uh, emphasised in the press conference afterwards when the final question of the English part of the press conference was, "I'd like to ask you about the tennis today." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, thank goodness, you know, I, I really want to do that because everything else had been about his future." and his health mm. and that's just the way it was apart from the opening question from the moderator um and uh, i mean just to, on the 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 match and the occasion being a bit of an anticlimax i agree completely as well and i think we saw the downside if you like of that lopsided draw today mm. because it was all about the Djokovic clash the the Zverev match which obviously i thought would have been an Alcarath one but it would have been a blockbuster and then the final, unless it was going to be Sitsipas, in truth, there wasn't that much spite in that other half of the draw. Mm. Yeah, and just to elaborate a little bit on uh, on the potential drama that we were all braced for after the match, there were rumours swirling early afternoon. There were cracking rumours. There <laughs> were, were rumours. Totally and we all unsubstantiated, felt, but great rumours. We all fell hook, line and sinker <laughs> for them, knowing full well they were almost certainly bullshit. We were still circulating we them. We were all over them. Like nobody's business on every available WhatsApp group. <laughs> um, so Roger Federer was pictured with Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger lives in Paris. Therefore, Roger Federer is coming <laughs> to Roland Garros because Rafael Nadal is retiring and Roger Federer should be the one to present him, See him off. with his final trophy in some sort of recognition of you know what they've meant to one another over the last 20 years. We'd all written that. Well, that per- would have been that perfect. Was, that was going to happen. Quite annoyed Never at Nadal that that didn't that happen, to be honest. By Billie Jean King herself, that Billie Jean King would be presenting the trophy. And she was stood right there <laughs> for the whole match. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just, uh, from from about, you know, three all in the second set, I was just staring at the uh, entrance to the court, wondering if Roger Federer was going to pop up. Yeah. Like the fool that I am. <laughs> oh, now Nadal's going to try and carry on. <sighs> it was... Um, <laughs> It was a bit of a... a I mean, obviously it's turned out all to be hot air, but it was was a real circus, wasn't it? And maybe it was all in anticipation of the match itself not being dramatic. Um, You know, we live 
we inhabit the world of you know we trade on storylines well, and put, drama and aggro and all the rest of it put it this way when when Kasparud went 3-1 up in the set I was commentating on the second set there was a, a brief moment of thinking oh thank goodness for this we've got a match on our hands and that lasted precisely four minutes because the moment Nadal broke back Rude was not the same player again simple as yeah, he reeled off five straight games from 3-1 down, did Nadal in that second set. Then he goes off for a spa break. They're becoming, they're becoming another trademark, David. Yep. He, he spends about four minutes gathering his... Packing up. Packing up his spa, his spa bag. Which, you know, is, which is I, what you do. I feel you, <laughs> Rafa. It's, you know, you've got to make sure you've got your flip-flops and, you know. Um, and then he jogs off the court as if he's in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Uh, anyway, then he comes back on. A Mexican wave has got going around Chateau. The sun has come out and he extends that five-game streak to 11 games, winning the third set six love. Rude's, you know, throughout that set, looking up to his box like a lost little boy, isn't he? There was uh, there was one sit-down where he started singing along to the, the trumpet music that was oh. singing Raphael Nadal songs. Rude was. Yeah. Oh, bless Mm. That, Eight that, points he won in that third set, Rude. That's the, um, bruising. The look he gave his dad when it was all going wrong in that third set, when he couldn't, he he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to play. He didn't know how to win points, and it's it was humiliating for him in the moment. I think. I think post match he gathered himself, but in the moment he was he was a lost little boy looking up at his dad for answers and. Oh, my heart ached for him in that moment. It really did. Because uh, he seems such a sort of stoic young man uh, and organized and um, mature and everything's worked out. But in that little moment, he was suddenly 10 years younger. Mm. We had a bit of a disagreement after his press conference about how crestfallen he is in this moment. Obviously disappointed and obviously a bit embarrassed about the scoreline and how one-sided it was. My feeling emerging for that press conference is the fact that it was Rafael Nadal that he lost to and he so idolises Rafael Nadal and clearly still does, softens the blow for him considerably. He was saying things that suggested that, you know, while he would love to have won, he was pretty delighted to, to now sort of be written into Nadal's tennis history. He was talking about being able to tell his grandchildren children that he played Nadal on Chatrier and you know that's not necessarily something that the most crestfallen defeated Grand Slam finalists say he was asked what his favorite moment of the match was and he said he said the match point (laughs) when Nadal hit a winner he said Nadal hit a beautiful backhand down the line winner I I do think he was I think he almost panicked in that answer because he felt like he needed to give one and um (laughs) What can you choose when you've just been beaten 3-3 in love? It's, it's a di- especially because he'd already told us that actually he was in a bit of a state when he came out onto the court. He, was, he said, I felt fine until I walked out. And then when I walked out and I saw the big crowd, I tightened up. And you, he wasn't, you could tell. I mean, you could tell that he just... And I thought he would work his way through it. And to some degree, he did, didn't he? I mean, he... He made the set, what the set wasn't an embarrassment. It was 6 3. The second set, he's leading 3 1. It's going okay. He's done okay to that point. And then it just it capitulated. But because of that, 
I think he, he he would have struggled in the moment to come up with a moment that's good from that that match. Um, just in terms of his reaction, you're right. I mean, we we were arguing about that um, because I felt like he was crushed, but I was taking that more from his body language on the court because it really got to me seeing the look he gave his dad. And I think what happened, I think probably his dad had a quick word with him afterwards and said, look, you lost to Nadal. You lost to a 14-time champion. And I think very quickly he, he reconciled that in his mind in order, probably in order to handle it. You know, um, he, he, I think he was embarrassed that he couldn't perform and keep it close, you know. And, and you talked about a 7-5, 7-5, If he'd lost that, I think he'd have walked off with feeling okay about that. Even you know, I don't think I don't think he would have walked off with any real regrets. He's been beaten by a guy who's just better, but to lose like he did, I think I think probably made him feel awful. But the way, how do you handle that? Well, you probably handle it by trying to just put it into perspective. It's Nadal. He wasn't Sitsapass, was he? After his French no, Open no, exits sexy against French depression. <laughs> no, but, no, but he doesn't believe in himself like Sitsapass does. Sitsapass believes in believes in himself in an yeah. in an unrealistic way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean that in the nicest possible way because I think the best players need to do that almost. But I think that that's the truth. Yeah, and look, I agree with you. I certainly felt during the match like he was pretty crushed and pretty low you know when they were flashing his face up on the big screen I don't know I I just felt like in the press conference he and and maybe it was a sort of coping mechanism as you said and maybe it was all a brave face and look there's and, and absolutely there's no right way to be after losing these finals people deal with it in different ways I just felt that that was a guy who you know to use Mary Carello's term lacked fangs really I, I I just felt like he was a bit too pleased for Nadal mm. probably not surprising when you think of that photo you showed me yeah. of, of him at the 2013 French Open final yeah and well we, a, we, we this is what we feared isn't it? because of that photo it, 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 because of how much you idolised him but it is bonkers isn't it to think it's mad how, how is that happening you end up playing your hero in the French Open yeah, final and, and it must be really really hard to just you know, forget that part of your life. You know, that's, I'm sure, such a big reason why Kasper Ruud is a tennis player. I'm, I'm absolutely not criticising him for it. It was just my observation that maybe that... It's affected things. Maybe that affected things. But ultimately, it was the game. You know, he, he's just it's nowhere a, near as good as It Rafael is a horrible Nadal. matchup, as you say. And but, the matchup. Um, and he, but I, I do feel like he didn't... Show enough devil in his forehand. I think you've you you can't come out against Nadal and play just your normal game. You've got to go for it, and he didn't. He had some lovely things to say about Billie Jean King. Incidentally, mm. that was he a also, lovely. He touch. also added that um, another highlight for him of the day was being handed his plate by Billie Jean King. He said he'd never met her before, um, so having the opportunity to meet her in that moment was 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 special for him and that was that was really nice and authentic and, and genuine incidentally on on the plate um both finalists had their silverware brought to the press conference for them and the the thing with the winner's trophy is that nobody other than and i think this is the case at all four slams i know it's the case in australia and it looked to be the case here 
today, nobody other than the champion is allowed to handle it without gloves on. Oh, what a so nice. it was it was carried in behind Nadal by a security guard wearing gloves and then placed on the on the table in front of Nadal as is customary with um with champions. The plate was brought in by some lackey not <laughs> not wearing any gloves. Standing F- it round. Fingerprints all over that thing. <laughs> I had no idea. That's really funny. <laughs> He's a Lovely guy, Kasparov. Mm. You know that that really was a nice uh, touch to mention Billie Jean King mm. and how much that meant to him. And I feel like he's carried himself really, really well all tournaments. Um, As Nadal would say, healthy family. They're healthy people. The roots. Hel- healthy people. <laughs> and he's fourth in the race. Yeah, <laughs> that was his first answer. Yeah, it's fourth in the race. The first question to Nadal in his press conference was from a Norwegian journalist, obviously wanting quotes about Casper Ruud, and he was, you know, Nadal was doing his Nadal thing, being really generous about the opponent that he's just absolutely spanked. (laughs) And he goes, he's a great player. He's fourth in the race. (laughs) And they're healthy people. (laughs) So the Nadal press conference, as, as we've explained, there were, we were expecting something after the match when we were expecting more than him winning the title to be the story today. And he did promise us, didn't he, in various press conferences throughout the tournament. That, and he particularly said it in Spanish, I think, Matt. He was particularly clear about this um, after one of his victories. I don't want to go into details about how managing the foot, but all will become clear after the tournament. And he's a man of his word, isn't he? Because, I mean, he basically handed us his, his medical history yeah. after the match today. And it's, it's grim. It's astonishingly grim. It's grim, and yet it's not without hope. Which, look, a few days ago, we thought 22 and out, didn't we? We all thought, Mm -hmm. judging by his body language, that that could be the situation. His speech on court was incredible in our Five Live commentary box because we're all sort of like clenching as he's going through the final few sentences of it. And right until the last sentence, you don't know whether he's about to drop the mic and retire. And then in the last sentence, he says, but I'm going to keep fighting and trying to find a solution. (laughs) And then you suddenly realize, okay, he's not going to retire. But in the press comments, he provided, as you say, so much detail to what his problem is, what he has been doing throughout Roland Garros in order to play, which effectively is just numbing the entire foot so that he could feel nothing. And then what he's going to do next week to try to actually be able to play Wimbledon because he wants to play. And then if that doesn't work, a major surgery is, is, is the only other solution and that may not work. And then he may have to call it a day. So that, I mean, you know the detail a bit more, but I mean, those stages to, to lay it all out I really appreciated that and I like the fact that he he said I'm not going to talk about this until after the event and then suddenly first answer I said I wasn't going to and now I've finished the tournament I'm ready to talk it was the gist of it yeah essentially he said after after Rome and the way he lost there and in clearly excruciating pain to Dem- Denis Shapovalov there was really only way one way for him to to be able to to even play Roland Garros let alone compete here and that was to n- numb his foot altogether for matches 
Um, he didn't tell us exactly how many injections he, he had over the course of the fortnight, but he said basically he had two before every match. And he said while there isn't any long-term impact of having those injections, it's purely a short-term sticking plaster. He explained that in the moment it carries risk because, I mean, as you would logically expect, the risk of turning your ankle is far greater. The risk of other injury is far greater when you've got a zombie foot. Um, And he was categorical that he is only prepared to do that for one tournament, for this tournament, and that's it. If no other solution can be found to his foot problem, he's not prepared to use do what he did this fortnight again. That will be the end of his career if there's yeah. no other solution. And he won't do it even for Wimbledon in three weeks' no. time. He said he wants to play Wimbledon, but that is contingent on the treatment that he'll be having next week working. And that treatment is um, it's called radiofrequency ablation therapy. Um, it's something I know a little bit about. Um, because it's a it's a possible um, treatment for a back condition that I have. Now, obviously, backs are nothing like feet, um, but essentially, it's a um, it's a, a way of burning nerve endings without applying heat. So, essentially, the signal from your nerve to your brain is cut off. So, heat. Uh, so, pain pain signals can't be sent from the problematic area to your brain and it's far far more although it would numb a tiny tiny area it's far more localized than than essentially the anesthetic that he would have been deploying for the past couple of weeks I have to say when he explained what the treatment was that he'd be trying next week unless my doctor's been lying to me for the past few years I was somewhat reassured because that's more than a Hail Mary I think I'm 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 open, very much open and encouraging of medical professionals contacting us. Um, but that's a, that's a serious option. Now, it's by no means a guarantee from what I can gather. it's You have to be incredibly precise with that treatment and finding the precise zone is, is can be difficult. It's no guarantee, but far more than a Hail Mary. We're not talking about, you know going to South America and taking something that you don't understand the label of and or, you know. or, or having a massive surgery at yeah, the moment. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real possible route for hope with absolutely no guarantees. And if it does work, it would work quickly, right? Because yes. he's talking about Instantly. Wimbledon being a possibility it's it's totally non-invasive pretty much i mean that that day you wouldn't be able to to go out and practice but it's a non-invasive treatment and it works pretty much instantly um quite honestly i was surprised that he hadn't tried it already um but then i get the impression that the the condition is has worsened so much more over the past few months and there's no there's no gaps in a tennis schedule isn't he i suppose he had a gap after a new miles, but he was re- rehabbing a broken rib. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's he won this French Open with a numb foot. How on earth are we supposed to find words to explain that? To to put that into any kind of context? I can't. I can't. 
<laughs> it's unreal. It is unreal. And, you know, it's, it's a French Open where he's 36 now. He had to... Old, oldest ever champion. We old, haven't even mentioned that. Yeah, he had to beat the world number one, Novak Djokovic. Which I think is really important session. to this achievement because, you know, there are, there's no asterisk against this one. I know, I know you both felt there's no asterisk against the last one, but there's not even a conversation about this one. And, you know, he's beaten the world number one, fair and square, with a numb foot. And then he's gone and won the tournament. So moving to 22 with this massive statement victory, I think. He, he's, he spoke to um, Maria Taylor on NBC um, uh, straight after the win on court, in fact. Maria is a listener. Hello, Maria. All right, Maria. Um, and he was asked whether he'll be back at Roland Garros next year. And he said, I can't confirm anything. I need to find a solution. I can't keep going the way that I'm going. Um, and he had said to France TV that the lowest moment in the fortnight was after his victory over Corentin Moutet in the second round, a night session match, of course. He said his medical team blocked the nerve in his foot to stop the pain, um, but he was in agony after that victory, agony. He was so open in the English portion of his press conference, I didn't actually think that he revealed much more in, in the Spanish portion, but one thing he did say was that in 2016 here at Roland Garros, he effectively did the same thing with his wrist, uh, which was causing him problems that season. And yet it didn't work that year because he had to pull out before he played uh, Marcel Granoyes, I think it was, in third round, fourth round, I can't quite remember. So there was always the possibility that it wouldn't work this time on his foot either. You know, that, And for him to, I think, take on that, mental challenge you know besides just winning Roland Garros and coming up against four top 10 players as he did and having to play the tennis he did four top 10 players is a record for him isn't yeah, it? it is yeah consecutive matches against four top 10 players to win this title he also had the thought in the back of his mind that it could go at any time the foot mm. you know he had it was a huge mental effort for him this tournament as well I think as, as well as physical, obviously. It it seems disrespectful to Rafael Nadal to talk about the Grand Slam race because he doesn't care about it. <laughs> and he's very clear about that. Do you, but do you, but do we you all him? do care. Do you believe him? I do. I do. I do. I really do. So do I. But I, I know people who don't, you see. No, uh, I'm, I so believe him. I, Greg, Greg Rosensky, I got the feeling, was sort of slightly rolling his eyeballs at me when, uh, when, I, uh, when I said that. But, but I mean... I can't it, relate to it. I would be obsessed with the numbers. Mm. Um, but he's, his, his answer he's was not so, like me. His, his answer about it was so convincing, wasn't it? Because he, he just... It was almost like he, he was sitting us down for, for a little talk. Mm. about how a 22 Grand Slam champion in his world thinks. Mm. I'm going to tell you a story, everybody. Listen up. That's God, how the last story we heard in a press conference was a bleak Daniil Medvedev story. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it felt like that. I mean, he didn't use those words. I'm, I'm obviously teasing. But he, he did feel like he was trying to just give us an insight into how his psyche works and why he is the greatest in-the-moment athlete I've ever seen in that you know don't think about records I don't think about who who's going to be the greatest 
we've all achieved our dreams, Roger, Novak, and me. What I care about is moments, passion for the sport. Memories. Memories, competing. This is what he's all about. And, and he just wants to have the chance, he says. And, sorry to cut you off, but I mean, the reason I believe him is because he's played his whole career like that. Mm. You know, that has been his approach every point, every game, every set, every match, every year. That's why he, he is where he is. He has never wavered from that attitude. And, you know, he's got a career's worth of evidence as to as to why that, I'm sure, is, is how he, in his heart of hearts, feels. And it makes me think of a discussion we were having with Mary Carrillo uh, the other day about the Grand Slam race and, and those big three and, and the fact that Federer and Djokovic, I think, covet things from one another and from Rafael Nadal. I don't think Nadal covets anything from anyone. And that makes him... In many ways, we think of it being Federer and Nadal and then Djokovic being the, the third wheel in the scenario. But I think, looked at it like that, Federer and Djokovic have a lot more in common. I don't think the Grand Slam race keeps Federer up at night, but I also don't think he thinks like like Rafael Nadal at all. Nadal is different to those mm. two and to to anyone really that I can think of at, at the top of their game. Yeah, I've always thought that... <laughs> Well, not always, but it sort of crystallised for me really in the 2019 Wimbledon final, Federer versus Djokovic. I always felt like Federer wanted or needed just that steel that Djokovic has in those biggest, biggest matches. You know, think how many tight matches Federer has lost against Nadal and Djokovic. And Djokovic wants or needs that love that Federer gets. You know, that is a big part of it. Nadal has both of those things. He has the love and he has the big match game. And, you know, of course, that's not to say Federer doesn't have a big match game, but just relative to those two, perhaps, over the years. Um, But then Mary just said, yeah, but Nadal doesn't want or need those things from any other people. He He just competes. He's just got his own attitude. And I think that hits the nail on the head. You know, he's he's his own driving force. And that might be why he ends up winning the race. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that he's missed so many slams and nobody thought he was going to be one to play well into his 30s like he is. You know, the wear and tear on his body was always talked about as that will curtail Nadal's career in a way that Federer, for example, won't have to contend with. And yet, here we are. He's, he's two ahead of both of them. And how, how important is that? The, the clubhouse lead, okay, he hasn't finished yet in his mind, but 22. I mean, now are we, are we at the stage where that's enough? Well, look, Hang I mean, on. I think... I'm the question asker here. <laughs> You're the one that answers the awkward questions. I've one thing to say here as a preface for this discussion before we hurtle headlong into it. Can we agree it's a two-horse race? Yes. yes. There might be some Federer fanatics out there that could have believed that he could win one fairy tale extra slam. He ain't winning two. It's no. a two horse race. It's a fine. Two, it's okay. A, it's a two horse race. Proceed as you were. And, and, and even that, you know, is mad. I think there was a time when Federer was on 16 slams and Djokovic was on one. 
No, really? I, I believe that's right. Um, <laughs> Federer is... I trust him. <laughs> Me too. I just thought, uh, what? Federer is not retired, and yet we're talking about him not even being part of the race anymore. It's it's mind-boggling what, what he's done, but obviously what Nadal and Djokovic have done as well. I think there's a scenario where we're sitting in a month's time and Djokovic is within one. Or three months' time and they're level. If this year has taught us anything, it can change so quickly because six months ago, Djokovic was clearly in the ascendancy to finish with the most. Of course, and we will have those discussions as and when they arise. A listener reminded us today that it was this year that we had a discussion and a podcast entitled Entering the Barty Era of Dominance. We we reserved the... (laughs) We reserve the right Oops. to reframe discussions as and when events yeah. change. Oh, sure, absolutely. right here, right now, is he favourite to finish first in the race? Nadal. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's going to get harder for Djokovic. It's going to get harder. I think just just favourite, but not by much. As it stands at the moment, and I know. It's forecast to change, but it hasn't yet. Djokovic isn't allowed to mm-hmm. play the US Open. He might never be allowed to play Australia again. I suspect he will, though. Sure. I'm but, just um, letting you know how yeah. things are no, right, right now I mean, before, I, before situations change and we completely change all I, of our I, opinions. I, I suppose one, one of the other factors is what, happen, what happens with players like Medvedev, who is a a real threat to Djokovic and he can't play Wimbledon and he who knows he might not be able to play US Open depending on what they do those are factors yeah I mean Nadal's the only top player at the moment that's allowed to play everywhere yes um, but I mean I, I would want to be if I could be any of them I would be Nadal and have the clubhouse lead ra- rather than being 12 months younger and, and probably having a, a, a four years younger body like Djokovic has got I think it's going to get harder to win them as time goes on. Is it silly to have a chat about the calendar slam, given what we know <laughs> no. about Rafael Nadal's zombie foot? Because if it weren't for the zombie foot, let's, that would be near the top of the agenda. He's on for the calendar slam. Let's say the nerve burning works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he going to win it? The calendar slam. Would you back him with a good foot? No, I'd I don't back, think I'd I would. I'd back him to have a chance. He has a chance, but I wouldn't predict it. I mean, Djokovic didn't do it last year. It's bloody, bloody, bloody hard to do, the calendar slam. <laughs> I didn't predict him to win either of the slams that he has won. Mm. This Imagine, year, Imagine if he won Wimbledon. Imagine that. <laughs> US Open would be fun. <laughs> or funner. Reiki. Yeah, I mean, he's. imagine if he never plays again, retires while halfway to the calendar slam. Imagine if that sentence had gone another direction. Imagine the podcast we'd be having right now if we were sitting here and you just retired like three hours ago. Oh, I was, I had, I had thought experimented that quite far down the road. I was thinking, do we do two podcasts? Do we, what, do we do one sort of regular Regular French Open final podcast and another emergency Nadal retirement podcast. She's done it to me. I was going to say, <laughs> you swapped brains or something. Do we have anything more to say about Rafael Nadal? 
Or do we need to save some things to say for for when he wins Wimbledon in the US Open? The only thing I want to say is that I just find the whole thing joyous. Um, I feel still feel sorry for Casper Ruud, but he'll get over it. I think he probably already has, as you say, pretty much. Yeah, he'll be fine. But seeing Nadal, seeing an all-time great like that, who's now got used to opening up to us in the media room, telling us jokes in the pre-tournament presser, and then telling us chapter and verse about his struggles and his plans in the post-tournament press conference and. Just everything else, seeing him so at ease with who he is uh, as a champion as a, and as a person. I just, I just love that he's still out there. And, and, and I love seeing him add to his legacy like this. I love it too. I must say, joy wasn't the sort of overriding feeling I had. I, 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 just, I just go back to his answer in that Spanish portion of the press conference the other day he would take a new foot over this Roland Garros title. I, I did think did think perhaps part of the reason there was a bit of a strange feeling was that there was there was some sadness attached to it as as promising perhaps as the potential treatment is for him. It's by no means a guarantee. The end of his career is still a distinct possibility. The clock is ticking on that career and yet he doesn't want to stop. He loves tennis. He loves competing so much. And just just the idea that we're getting ever closer to that, you know, to it being the end, just just affects me a little bit. And uh, ma- mainly I feel awe. I just feel awe. I'm just in complete awe at what he is doing. And I feel him so privileged to watch Nadal win his 14th Roland Garros title. It's, it's extraordinary. But I, but I sort of had mixed feelings about it all because of the state of that foot yeah I feel similarly I I, I feel I feel such joy and yeah awe and gratitude about Rafael Nadal in 2022 specifically what what I've been able to see him do this year with my own eyes is a gift an absolute gift I, I feel I feel pretty overwhelmed by it, to be honest. Um, he's given me a career's worth of joy and excitement and all the best things about sport in six months. And yet today could well be the last time we talk about a tennis match of his. That is a distinct possibility. And this, the radio frequency therapy gives us a sort of an out on our grief. Doesn't I, it? I'm, I'm going all in on which, which David's <laughs> taking, and I'm I'm up for that too. But that is a distinct mm. possibility. But we'll have an emergency podcast for you, as and when, as and when the uh, the worst happens. May it be some may it be some way away yet. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Do you know who I felt sorry for today as well as Casper Reed, David? Who's that? Coco, Coco Goff. Goff. Oh, yeah. She was a set-up. She and Jessica Pegula lost the women's doubles final today to the French pairing of uh, Christina Medenovic and Caroline Garcia, as you say, David, from a set-up. Two final losses in two days for Coco Goff on the same court. Twice she had to sit on that bench on Chatteret listening to that music, which she never wants to hear again, <laughs> uh, while they constructed the plinth and prepared the plate to hand to her. I really wanted her to be able to leave Paris with positive feelings, and it And it was I really shame. thought she was going to. Pagula and Goff won that first set. They were so clearly the better team. Um, and then I must say, fair play to Garcia and Mladenovic, because they suddenly got pretty inspired, and they, and they started really targeting the, the volleyer and hitting it up the line, being more aggressive, and then... As as the match got deeper and deeper, it obviously got closer to the start time of the men's singles final and the stadium filled up quite a bit. By the end, there was a really good atmosphere and I think that really helped the French pair. You know, I, I think, you know, Goff referenced it that, you know, she loved playing in that atmosphere even if, even if they weren't necessarily cheering for her and Pagula. But I, I do think it helped and um, it, was, it was an impressive turnaround, but... I did feel for Pagula and Goff, really did. Second Roland Garros title for the French pair. Their last was in 2016, and they've they've been through a lot since then. They've broken up, they've got back together. They seem really to have buried the hatchet, and it was it was a pretty spiky hatchet for a while there, wasn't it? It was it was a proper fallout. They they went years without speaking. They, to one another. They might have even unfollowed each other on Instagram or something. Yeah, well, it extended onto Twitter, didn't it, the spat? Yeah. It mm. was, I think it was around Garcia not playing in Fed Cup and the other French players not being supported, calling her out, I think, and Medenovic being part of that. Anyway, it's all rosy now and they've just, hey. uh, they just won the French Open, so very well done to them. The men's doubles final was yesterday. We didn't have an opportunity to, to cover it because it, it finished while we were swimming home um it was it was won <laughs> by marcelo aravello and jean julien roger six three in the third over ivan dodig and austin krychek they saved three match points 
in the second set tiebreak. And wow. it's their third title of 2022 and their first Grand Slam. Congratulations to them. And actually, Dodig and Krajicek saved match points against Salisbury and Rama in rounds earlier. They're, they're so close, some of these doubles matches. Mm. They hang on just one point here, one point there. and um, But it, I don't know. I wonder... I mean, we talk about Kasparud. I wonder how, how you... Go to sleep at night. I don't know. Comfortably if you've lost match points. Honestly, don't know. Niels Vink of Niels on Wheels fame. 19-year-old Niels Vink completed his victory over countryman Sam Schroeder in the men's quad wheelchair singles final. He only needed a tie break today. That's the point it was rained off yesterday. Vink led by a set. Six all in the second. They went in at the start of the second set tie break. That is Niels Vink's maiden Grand Slam singles title. And I suspect the first of very many. He's only 19 years of age and he's got an excellent website. And he's done the double because, of course, he won the doubles title with Sam Schroeder yesterday. Uh, Dida de Hoot and Anik van Koot also clinched victory uh, in a match resumed from yesterday in the women's wheelchair doubles final over Yui Kamiji and Kugothatso Montagne. Um, I think that's her name, South African player. That's their fifth consecutive Roland Garros title, de Hoot and van Koot. And speaking of consecutive titles... Stand by and brace yourself, David. Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid won the men's wheelchair doubles final in two tie breaks today over Shingo Kanida and Gustavo Fernandez. That is their 10th Grand Slam title in a row. Whoa. Yep. Unreal. <laughs> That's not normal. Unbelievable. And of course, it would you know it would be rude not to end on the very important note of Arno Clement and Fabrice Santoro winning the men's legends doubles title. They beat Sebastian Grosjean and Cedric Pierlin. I see. I feel like that's not the note we should end on. Somehow, <laughs> does any anyone have anything else to say about Nadal? I do actually, because um, as I was leaving the. Spanish portion of his press conference I opened the door and suddenly realised that Nadal was right behind me coming out the door that the players never exit and I thought what's he doing here turns out he's in my way (laughs) I was in his turns out what he was doing as he always without fail does and I just think it's worthy of a mention he was going over to thank in person the transcription team the team of people who transcribe all the press conferences um, and he always waves at them at the start of his press conferences and in his last press conference of every tournament he goes over and thanks them personally and I just think that says a lot about the man and it's such a such a lovely thing to do there's no one else that does that I've never seen anyone else no I mean all the drivers have stories about him treating them really well but that particular one and I think a lot of the players treat the drivers well you know but that particular one of even acknowledging noticing that the transcription people are in the room but they're they're not like right in front of him the way they used to be they're right at the back behind a glass window you can barely see them he was waving somebody I'm thinking who's he waving to and realized they were there 
And that's one of the things that Billie Jean King talks about and talked about yesterday in her press conference yesterday, wasn't it? Players needing to have an appreciation of what goes into tournaments. And she, Billie Jean King talks about the importance of a a rookie school, you know, for, for young players before they turn pro to learn about the business of the sport and the ecosystem of the sport. You know, she says that, that players shouldn't be able to just take their check without knowing whether the promoter made money on the tournament, you know, and and appreciating what promoters and tournaments and everybody involved in them are, are putting on the line in order that that they can go around the world and compete for tournaments and make their living. So, um, yeah, it's just a little demonstration of that kind of uh, appreciation of the bigger picture. And I know it's appreciated by um by the transcription team because that is that is a hard job and with very little thanks or recognition often yeah. so well done for many things today to the great Rafael Nadal that is it for the 2022 French Open well it's almost it because if you're a friend of the pod you will be getting a Roland Garros review show which we'll be recording in a couple of days time i feel like we need the benefit of a couple of days reflection to really process everything that's happened over the course of the last couple of days a uh, couple of weeks and to do a lot of washing oh oh yeah <laughs> so I, I when when you two were coming back from australia and we did our review show there i wondered what all the fuss was about <laughs> <laughs> i know now <laughs> lot of washing to be done folks um if you can't wait for that in the meantime david has done a mini pod um, with his reflections on coming to Roland Garros for the first time, what it's meant to him. Um, it's about 20 minutes long and it made my mum cry early on today. And um, yeah, both my parents have sent me messages today saying how much they enjoyed it. So, And it was recorded before you got up? Yes, David has been to Roland Garros <laughs> Twice today, two separate occasions. I had a lovely time. (laughs) He really did. And it's a lovely, lovely pod. And that's already there for you, for Friends of the Pod. So uh, that can keep you going, tide you over until Wednesday. Also for Friends of the Pod coming up, of course, are our Wimbledon Relived episodes. More material from Matt's trip to the Wimbledon Library. Oh, great. Absolutely. Can't Mm. wait. I'm not allowed to reveal yet what they're what the subject matter is am i correct Mm. big reveal coming soon folks good teasing catherine thank you very much probably in the newsletter oh speaking of the newsletter matt bumper edition today don't know why any of you wouldn't already be subscribing to the newsletter um but sort it out if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter this one has got a hannah q and a in it and Mm. it's really good it's They're fair. always really good, folks. It's Hannah, so of I know. It's I do really understand good. people's um, reticence about newsletters because one's inbox can get clunked up with uh, with newsletters, and you know you're forever putting your email address into websites to get a to get a sort of four percent off voucher. You're prostituting your email address, aren't you, and signing up to goodness knows what newsletters. Our newsletters aren't like that. <laughs> well rescued, Matt. <laughs> Matt and his incredible brain pours his heart and soul into them every day, and they're brilliant. They're they're proper. We um, we try and add value, not just sort of promote stuff in there. It's a little bit of promoting stuff, but mostly it's Matt's brilliant brain on paper. 
digital paper. Yeah, (laughs) digital paper, folks. That's what you want. It's going to be big digital paper. (laughs) Invest in it now. We've written our newsletter on digital paper, folks. (laughs) Right. I would like to say a very big thank you to Cooper, who is who has been our brilliant and lovely mascot for the whole of the French Open. Hooray for Cooper! Hooray for Cooper. Cooper is lovely. Cooper currently features uh, on our Instagram story. If you'd like to go and have a look, he um, he reminds me a little bit of my childhood cat, Marmite, Aww. who was a cutie. So thank you, Cooper, for giving me happy Marmite memories for the last two weeks. Other thank yous. Uh, there are many of them. Bear with us a bit, folks. We have to say thank you to Hannah. We Hannah sure Wilkes is... A just a legend yeah she's incredible isn't she yeah, she does our twitter folks if you're not on twitter you really want to get on it when she's contributing because she has us howling with laughter all day yeah she's um she's a bit special hannah and we're sort of we're refreshing our own twitter feed constantly to see what see what hannah's been uh, been coming up with Yes, I turn on notifications for our Twitter feed when Hannah's uh, when Hannah's at the helm, <laughs> so that you, I get them directly to my to my phone. You're saying you turn it off when I'm on? <laughs> well, it's. It, I mean, sometimes otherwise I'd be just giving myself a notification for a tweet I've sent. Right. Mm. And pole vaults. Anyway, mm. look, I know Twitter can be a horribly toxic space, and will will probably becoming more so over in future months if uh, ownership changes hands what cul-de-sac have i got myself down here <laughs> but there are lovely pleasant irreverent funny corners of twitter and hannah wilkes is one of them and we are delighted to have her with us on our team i'm going to say a very very big thank you to our personal mascots who somehow stick with us through thick and thin and for david and darwin it's very much thin yeah darwin I, I will do better. It will come around. For Matt and the dearly departed Gerald the Cat, it's been awfully thick. We finally got to this part of the podcast. Mm. You've got 30 seconds, Matt. Off you go. Very, very pleased to have won the predictions competition. Uh, Rafa Nadal in three sets. The obvious pick today got me over the line. Uh, Carter, I would like to explain that Matt talked me out of the pick that I really thought was going to happen, which was Rafael Nadal in three. Obviously, he persuaded me to go tactical and do a David Law, and it didn't pan out. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you and hello, as always, to our executive producers and top blokes, Chris Albert-Lee and Kyle Weingartner. Uh, And we have final shout-outs, Matt. Yes, we do. We have Claire Evans in Leeds. Hello, Claire. Hello, Claire. Like Claire Wood. Yeah. What other um, Claire's are there? Claire Liu. Liu. Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Young, young American player. Mm. And Richard Evans, of course, esteemed, esteemed journalist. Claire Evans is her name, David. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. She'd probably have said Dan Evans, shouldn't I? <laughs> Him as well. Oh, marvellous. The love child of Claire Wood and Dan Evans. Thank you, Claire. (laughs) Thanks, Claire. We've also got Catherine Willerton in Southport. Right, Catherine. There's a disproportionate volume of Catherines. I I think Catherine Willerton has been in touch with us either on social media or on email and has been particularly nice. How are we spelling this, Catherine? 
you would approve, put it that way. The proper way. A C and an I? Absolutely. Look, I, don't make me sound judgmental if, <laughs> if other Catherine's I think mass. you've sounded judgmental yourself in the past. Look, it's a broad church. Brainwashed us. There are just different places to sit in the church. And Catherine Willerton is sitting right next to me on the front row. Awesome. And the final shout out today, and you're going to like this, is Robert Batista in Florida, <gasps> who says, I'm not Roberto Bautista Agu in disguise. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's wow. got to be a relation there somewhere. Not named after. It's like the fake nothing. Simon Briggs on Instagram. Yes, and the fake Jerry Barton. Yeah, we've got a fake Simon Briggs and a fake Jerry Barton. No, we've got a real Jerry Barton, <laughs> just not that one. Um, yes. Which was quite a relief. Actually. Hold on, there's a fake Simon Briggs. Mm. Yeah, he, well, he just, messages us on Instagram. He's not claiming to be oh. the Telegraph Simon Briggs. He's just a man that it's happens not, to be called Simon not Briggs. Not a parody. No. No. Okay. No. Anyway, hello to you. Hello to Robert. No, it's Robert. It's Robert Robert Bautista. No, no, Robert Batista. Batista. Okay. 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 All right, Robert. Hello, Robert. (laughs) Lots of tennis, Roberts. Bit like Robert Federer, Roger Federer's dad. Wow. (laughs) See, I pulled that one out, didn't I? (laughs) On that absolutely bombshell note, folks, I'm going to say a very big thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you. To friends of the pod, I know I've said this pretty much every day, but I can't say it enough, quite frankly. We have had the most wonderfully special two and a half weeks here in Paris, haven't we? It's the first time we've all shared an Airbnb together. Of course, it's not the first Grand Slam we've all covered, but it feels like a first somehow. It's really felt like a first, David. I know for you it's been particularly special. Your first Roland Garros, our first Roland Garros with you, your first time at a tennis tournament after an absolutely horrible eight months and it's been wonderful to see you with Philippe Chatrier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it's, more importantly, Suzanne Longland, your oh, your special place. I can't wait to see her next year. <laughs> but it's been lovely to be at a tennis tournament feeling like myself again. And uh I've loved every last minute of it. I've loved sharing an apartment with you two. Great company. We've had a cracking time. We've done this every night. And to talk to you lot here on the Tennis Podcast, well, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. And on that note, folks, we will be back next week with our first grass court show of the season because uh, the tournament's come thick and fast. We're only three weeks away from Wimbledon, David, so you can have a very brief spell of being less pumped and then you've got to get right back up to law pumped levels again. So charge up. We'll be back with a regular show on Monday. Friends of the Pod will have our review show on Wednesday. It's all happening, folks. It's all coming. Thank you for listening to the Tennis Podcast. We'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.